Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and boy, are you in for a treat today. On today's episode of the world's number one transit CEO podcast, we interview the world's number one transit CEO, Andy Byford. Andy Byford is Commissioner of Transportation at the uh, Transport for London, TFL in London. He came directly there from MTA in New York City, where he was the CEO of the transit system there. And prior to that, he was at TTC, the Toronto Transit Commission. Uh, while he was there, he uh, was a guest on our podcast, Transit Unplugged, back then, and uh, we're so excited to finally get him back at our um, golden microphones here at Transit Unplugged to find out what happened at MTA. How did London happen? What's your role there? What's the governance? Tell us about congestion charging. What's happening now? Tell us about the response to COVID. Um, tell us about driverless trains, the big tunnel being built, the crossrail tunnel on the uh, the crossrail on the Elizabeth Line. Tell us about uh, your primary objectives of safety, diversity, and customer service. Tell us all about this and some of your insight and wisdom as one of the world's leading lights in the public transportation world. All that we talked to Andy Byford about. He, I talked to him uh, from London, uh, direct on this line. It's a wide-ranging but in-depth interview that you won't hear anywhere else other than right here on Transit Unplugged. My good friend, Andy Byford, today as your guest on Transit Unplugged. Enjoy. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the public transportation industry around the world. And today I'm excited to bring you really the top public transportation official in the world, in my opinion, and that's Andy Byford. Andy has uh, had quite an interesting career, which we'll talk about, and now he's head of Transport for London. Andy, thank you so much for talking to me today from the banks of the Thames. Paul, it's so good to hear your voice again, my friend. You and I go back a few years now and uh, Thank you for that kind introduction. There's many of us out there. It's uh, it's all of us. As a team, as a big transport team, transit team, we move the world. So it's good to be able to chat today. Yeah, I know that you are uh, you travel in the big times and we've been buddies for a while. But I got to tell you, one of the reasons I know that you're, <laughs> that you're really big time is I put up a post on LinkedIn about you moving to London and I got over 50,000 hits on it, <laughs> twice as much as anything I've ever put up. So the reason I mentioned that is everyone is interested in you and in your career and in your journey. You come across, as you know, as a very earnest man who really is just trying to do the right thing. And I love the fact on my first on the first show you did with me a couple of years ago, you talked about how you kind of curated your career. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to start with that, talking about your career. And why don't you just walk us through kind of where you've been and what you've done? Well, look, Paul, it's a very topical question because I'm now at TFL, which is where I basically started my career back in 1989. This was in a slightly different iteration. It was London Transport back then. But I joined London Underground as a graduate trainee London Underground being the dominant part of London Transport. I was a graduate trainee, but I was a station foreman. I'm very proud to have started as a uniformed employee at a station called Regent's Park. I went to the training school. I went to the uniform store. I got my uniform. I was assigned to a station. I worked shifts. I worked early. So I worked late and I worked nights. And it taught me a lot. It taught me 
um, not only about operational matters, but it gave me huge empathy for frontline employees, my colleagues, frontlines, and what they have to endure, the, the fact that it's not an easy gig, it's not easy to be out there on your own sometimes, surrounded by sometimes angry customers when you're least able to deal with that, when you're least empowered. So I have huge empathy for frontline employees, I always have, but it also really influenced my management philosophy because very occasionally, it was very occasionally, top brass used to come to uh, Regent's Park and they would either walk straight past you as though you were a just a, a drone, worthless drone, you're just a number. <laughs> yeah. Or on occasions, and you'd feel terrible, or on occasions they'd stop and say hello to you, and then you'd feel 10 foot tall. That always resonated with me. It seared into my psyche. So now if you ever follow me around in uh, transport, on any of the jobs I've done, if you watch me walk through a subway station or or out in the streets, I will not walk past one of my colleagues without stopping to acknowledge them. So I follow this circuitous route. I go and speak to the cleaner. I go and speak to the bus operator, the train operator, whomsoever I encounter to say to them, good job, appreciate what you do. And I've always been like that. I worked my way up through the grades at the Tube. I was a duty station manager. Being at King's Cross, that, that really brought home the importance of what we do and the safety criticality of what we do. And ended up, Paul, after nearly 15 years as GM of three of the lines, the Bakery Central and Victoria. But as you said, I've always believed I'm proud to have never had things done for me. I'm, I don't have a famous dad. I'm not, um, I'm not some NBA that's been parachuted in. I've made my luck. I've had good bosses. So there's always an element of luck along the way. But I, you have to do the hard yards. You have to work hard. You have to build your career. I went to the uh, British mainline uh, railways for six years as an ops and safety director and then an ops director because I wanted that mainline experience. Then I wanted to get international experience. I was lucky enough, and this was luck, luck to be an, an honor, really, to be headhunted to uh, COO, Chief Operating Officer, RailCorp Australia. Where I had three wonderful years leading on customer service. We won a customer service award while I was there, but working for a wonderful boss guy called not Rob Mason, a bit of a legend to me down in Sydney, and enjoying the Australian lifestyle and the fabulous Aussie people. <laughs> and then after three years, my wife and I up sticks again. We moved to uh, Canada. It was a bit of a, an ambition for mine always to run the TTC, the Toronto Transit Commission. Um, and also Ali, as a Canadian, she quite wanted to go home for a bit. So that we did. We were there seven years, loved it. I built a great team now. I love building teams. And it was the team's hard efforts, not mine. It was the team's effort that got us from what was in, I remember in 2012, it was the Globe and Mail, I think, who described the TTC at the time as a bit of a demoralized shambles. I think they said a bit of harsh. <laughs> But there were some uh, factors behind that. And then 2017, we were very honoured to win the APTA uh, trans Transit of the Year, the yes. Outstanding Transit System of the Year. And um, then New York came calling. So off I went to, to what I thought would be probably my final big job in public transit, New York City Transit president. I cannot tell you, Paul, how proud I was to be the president of uh, transit. Two happy years there. We launched a fast forward program which captured New Yorkers' imagination. We pushed very hard to get funding. We got funding. We got we secured $40 billion from a standing start. Um, in just 100 days, we put that plan together. And we also Amazing. worked really hard on punctuality. Uh, again, that was my team's success. I, I'd surround myself with quality people and for various reasons, which maybe we'll come on to. I left and now here I am back home, back at Transport for London. <laughs> An even bigger job, actually. It's a combination of three New York City jobs. It, it covers every single mode, including new territory for me, like roads, taxis, cycles, and rivers. So things haven't 
uh, really done before. In addition to uh, the regular modes, bus, heavy rail, light rail, streetcar, and paratrans. Yeah, I'm back where I started. It's been quite the journey. That's amazing. So you started there at the end of June, and this program will air September 1st, and we're recording this in August. So are you enjoying it? Are you having a good time? Is this, is it, are you happy to be back home and that on top? It's great to be back at CFL. It feels like coming home, actually, because a lot of the people I used to work with are still here, believe it or not. I went, I made a point the other day of going to visit one of my former station supervisors when I was DSM at Edgeboro Road. I was always very happy when I had a station supervisor called Eric Reeve on duty because I knew the station would run well. He was a fantastic operator. I couldn't believe it. When I got here, I got an email from Eric saying, you're not going to believe this, Gov. I'm still at Edgeboro Road. I'm now what's called a customer service manager, and I've done 46 years on the job. I practically uh-huh. put my pen down and headed straight over there. I went probably the next day, and I had a cup of tea with Eric and a real good chat to catch up on old times. So it's great to be back. Lots to do. It's without question, though, the most surreal start to any job I've ever had in that. I contrast turning up at New York, massive fuss, because obviously the having a Brit come along to run the subways uh, captured people's imagination. I was met by a phalanx of media when I turned up at, at Bowling Green. It was incredible. It was completely mad, actually, all this uh, media <laughs> fuss. Here with COVID, our ridership has dropped 80%, our, our revenues down 90%. And I walked in, just wandered into our head office. I was practically the only one there. Uh, and, and <laughs> you know what? In many ways, that was great. So the big challenge for me here is uh, I've got two primary uh, challenges. One of them is without question to lead the post-COVID recovery of TFL. And I'm very lucky to have in- inherited an excellent team to aid me on that endeavor. That's great. Talk to me just for a minute. I, I want to ask you what happened at New York a little bit. I know that you've told that story 10 times, <laughs> but for our listeners, I know they're interested. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned TFL and all the modes you have. Tell us about the governance and how it works there. I, I saw recently on the news that the prime minister said, you got to give me driverless trains before I give you 1.6 billion pounds or something like that. And uh, I know you work with the mayor a lot. And so tell us about the governance and sure. what your role there is. Sure. So TfL, Transport for London, is an agency that comes under the mayor of London. So the mayor is my ultimate boss. I deal generally with the deputy mayor day to day, but the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is my ultimate boss. So um, TfL's mandate is to deliver the mayor's transport strategy, which we are uh, well on the way to doing. And I have already established good relations both with the mayor and the deputy mayor. I'm very much enjoying also the benefits of a professional board. I've dealt with a number of political boards in my time. <laughs> yeah. uh, this, is, this is a board populated by extremely impressive professionals. And it's a very diverse board, literally diverse in terms of the ethnic backgrounds of the uh, people on the board, but also in terms of their experience, what they've done, what uh, are the constituencies they represent, a truly impressive range of individuals. I have been dealing with government as well, central government, and there is a bit of tension between central government and the mayoralty, not least because Britain, like everywhere else, is in the grips of COVID and financing for the whole country. Everyone's, everyone's feeling the pain. TfL's not unique in that. We did seek a bailout or a, or a grant, or rather, I should say, and we got a grant of £1.9 billion. We drew down £1.5 billion for the first half of the year. And it's obvious that COVID is going to go on for some time and that social distancing is impacting our uh, capacity. So we will need further economic support for the remainder of this year. 
So certainly in the very short term, it's very much a live dialogue with government. I don't think it's unreasonable, Paul, that government should want to uh, put some conditions on in return for that additional emergency funding. So that's something that I'm actively engaged in. I was lucky enough to go to 10 Downing Street the other day. I never thought I'd go there in my life. Uh, But I went to meet Boris Johnson, our PM's officials. I didn't meet the PM himself. I have actually, funnily enough, in New York. But I went to meet him, uh, sorry, his people. And we had a very good discussion. My absolute overriding joint number one objective isn't just to, uh, sorry, let me put this positively, is to move beyond hand-to-mouth handouts and to secure the long-term, sustainable, affordable, predictable funding model that TfL definitely needs. TfL relies 72% on Fairbox recovery. Contrast that with New York, which is 38, or somewhere like Madrid, which is 47. In normal times, that's a stretch, 72%. But this crisis where suddenly the ridership plummets uh, and has remained in the doldrum, although people are now coming back, shows the fragility of that arrangement. And we need to move something to something more sustainable. I'm having good discussions with both levels of government, both the mayor and the prime minister's team, the government, HMG, and I'm sure that ultimately will prevail. It's interesting, Boris Johnson, he was the, the mayor of London a while ago, so he probably has a special place in his heart for your service. Well, certainly, he. I think he remembers his time as mayor very uh, fondly, as you've said, and TfL achieved a lot uh, under his mayoralty. So uh, I think that makes the dynamic more interesting, the fact that he's a former mayor. I'm not getting involved with the politics. I think in my career, I've had quite enough of politics. Yeah. Uh, my job, though, what I would say is my philosophy remains the same as it ever has. I'm a public servant. Public servants give frank and fearless advice. They do not show favor one way or another, but they do not flinch, though, from speaking truth to power. You speak truth to power. You do the right thing. You stick to your principles. You don't let yourself uh, be beholden to a certain philosophy, or I think you're on a bit of a slippery slope. So I have a pretty strong personal set of principles, and I will not sway from those. Absolutely, you serve the masters of the day, uh, but you are there to do their bidding. You are not their mouthpiece. That's an excellent point. I mean, you're dealing... I have a special place in my heart for uh, British history, et cetera. My family came, part of my family came from Wales. Just finished reading that book, The Splendid and the Vile, all about Winston Churchill and World War II and the role of prime minister. And I know you, it's having grown up there in that system is such a special place in your heart. But you do, I think, stand for a lot of us professionals in the business who, I, I love your quote, public servants give frank and fearless advice. Is that what was happening in MTA? And, and tell us what you can about, want to take one step back before we go to the forward. Tell us what you can about what happened at MTA. I think a lot of people saw in the news uh, what they thought was happening, but maybe whatever you can tell us from your perspective. Sure. Well, I'll keep it brief because I'd like to focus on going forward. But look, I loved it there. I absolutely loved it. New York is one of the most special places in the world. And it's the city. It's the the vibrancy of that place is just amazing. My wife and I loved living there, but also New Yorkers were unbelievably gracious. They were welcoming. People say New Yorkers aren't friendly, not at all. Uh, They're direct. And I like that. You know where you stand with them. But I built a real rapport with New Yorkers. I built a real rapport with uh, the 50,000 Uh, people, wonderful men and women of New York City Transit. And we made a rapid progress. In the first year, we launched Fast Forward. 
I did something like nearly 140, I think it was, town hall or other public um, events to pitch for Fast Forward. And we were ultimately successful. We got the capital monies to fund it, albeit obviously that's somewhat in the balance now with the impact of COVID. We made huge strides on things like punctuality on the subway. We were reimagining the bus network. And also, I'm very proud of the work we did on accessibility. We uh, introduced recruited rather the first ever accessibility chief for the MTA for New York City Transit himself, a wheelchair user, absolute star performer. And he built uh, a team of fabulous uh, accessibility advisors around him. And we absolutely set our stake in the ground that you could not be proud of a transit system until and unless it was fully accessible to everyone. I'm very proud of what we achieved. Look, at the end of the day, I, I, I said politics is a factor. I mean, it, it was a factor for me. For various reasons, I found myself marginalized. I found myself circumvented. I found that my job was effectively cut in half. I, I went there to uh, run the day-to-day, -day, but to deliver the, the 2B, uh, a modernization of the subway and the bus network. And I found that my job was through a reorganization, and that is the um, stakeholder's prerogative. Through the stakeholder's prerogative, though, the job was to be uh, paired back to, I felt, effectively a chief operating officer, which, to be fair, I'd done 10 years earlier. That plus various other things I, I felt that I were being imposed and the fact that my team were being given direction behind my back. It's back to that point about principles, Paul. You either tolerate that or you don't. And I chose to uh, call it a day after two years. I walked away with my head held high and I what the people of New York and the MTA gave me the most fabulous send off. So no hard feelings. I mm -hmm. wish them all the best. I'm, I'm certainly not going to be a stranger to New York. I'll be back as a regular visitor. It's a wonderful place. That's wonderful. Kudos to you, Andy, for standing on principle. I think that's something that true leaders do. Let's segue from there. So you went to London, I remember seeing, and you said, I'm going to try to come back to New York or whatever. I love it there. And then what happened? How'd you end up at TFL? Well, this is where luck does come in to a certain extent, because I, I meant what I said. And, and it's been quoted by a number of journalists have actually said, oh, Byford said he was going to stay in New York. And you know what? I did. Absolutely, I did. And I meant what I said. I try in life never to lie. Absolutely, 100%, I meant that. And I came over initially to vary my visa, and I ended up getting trapped because of the travel ban. But it is serendipity. I, I was then contacted about this the TFL position, and I was obviously aware of it. And I, I realized it was a golden opportunity for me, and that actually it fitted very well with, with my career progression, because it's a very different uh, job for me in many ways. I've run the TTC. I've run New York City Transit. Here, I have absolute high quality managing directors running the big agencies, the buses, the, the whole surface network, the corporate. And so, A, it's a higher level. B, it combines. If you look at uh, New York City example, I was president of transit. I worked with the DOT commissioner and I worked with the taxi and limousine commissioner. My job at TFL is all three of those and more. It's a much bigger job. It's a much uh, wider mandate. So it seemed to me to be a golden opportunity. I threw my hat into the ring somewhat late in the day and, and it really, everything worked out. I was uh, lucky enough and honored to be selected after a tough selection process. So here I am and I certainly intend to make a real go of it. Train daddy uh, round two huh? <laughs> over there. Well, no, we're not going down that road again. <laughs> I loved it. In many ways, the train daddy thing was really fun. And it I don't we all emanated from someone in Brooklyn. And I was yeah. quite uh, honored and it was a bit of fun. But 
Uh, I'm trying to keep a low profile here. I've got plenty to do to behind the scenes. Uh, having said that, though, my philosophy still remains that the public that pay your wage, uh, pay your wages, has a right to know what you're up to. I'm not going to be completely low profile. I think uh, Londoners need to know, you know who the commissioner is. It shouldn't be some faceless bureaucrat, some grey Mandarin. It should be someone to whom they can hold accountable. So I have done a bit of media already. I'm making a point, Paul, of going out very regularly on every mode. And that's particularly important because people probably think, oh, here he comes, ex-tube guy, he's going to spend all his time on the tube. Not at all. I'm out on the streetcars, the trams, as they say here. On Thursday, I've been to Victoria Coach Station. I've spent time on the buses. I've spent time with people who do the taxi checks. It's really fun. Uh, I, and the, on the to-do list is still the famous cable car and also to go on the Thames Clippers, which are the riverboats. So um, yeah. it really worked out for me. And it, it worked out for me. It's funny how life somehow steers you in one direction. It's a divine right. intervention. Unfortunately, sadly, lost my mum very suddenly. And by pure chance, I happen to be in this country when my dad really needs me. Somehow, sometimes, Paul, life and God throw you a, and what's the opposite of a curveball, a straight yeah, ball. And, yeah, that's uh, right. I'm lucky. So things yeah. worked out for me, and I'm very grateful for that. That's wonderful. What a blessing to be there during this mm -hmm. time. So you, you mentioned you had uh, great team members, and I know that I, when you were at TFL, I think, and I was at MTA in Baltimore, I uh, was over there speaking at a conference and ended up being able to meet through a mutual friend of ours, Matt Cole, was able to meet with Shashi Verma, who was your CTO at the time, and he spent a half a day with me showing me how you went to contactless cards there. Since then, I've interacted with Simon Reed, uh, one of your brilliant leaders in technology, and of course, have known Mark Wilde a little bit, who's leading the Crossrail Trails. And just the, the folks I've met there are just top-notch, and uh, you do have a lot of big projects going Going on. Why don't we talk about some of those, about the crossrail, mm -hmm. and uh, and what are your priorities now? What are you working on now that you're there? Sure. Well, let me just comment on the people thing. It's been an absolute pleasure to deal with TFL people so far. Not only have they been very welcoming, I've had all these lovely messages, welcome home, welcome back, all this kind of thing. The quality of the personnel and the um, quality of the research and the analysis this and the briefings you're given is absolute top draw. It's world-class. It really is. These people are absolute world-class. And, and that goes back to the essence of a public servant. Pretty much anyone in my executive could leave tomorrow, go to private sector and earn double their money. They choose not to because they choose to serve the people of London. And the people that we know, Paul, out in the industry are of that same ilk. It, it's something that we choose to do. So um, one of the reasons I was... Uh, so attracted to this position, in addition to being um, the lead, the person who's charged with leading uh, TFL out of COVID, which is no small matter, but rebuilding the morale, getting the ridership back up, rebuilding the financial position. I've made that joint top priority with my other joint top priority, which is getting the Crossrail project finished and getting the Elizabeth line open. And I should just say, in addition to three things that are not uh, initiatives, they're not projects, they're not just priorities, they're the way we do things, safety and security, relentless focus on that, people and diversity, and excellent uh, delivery through customer service and customer service delivery through people. So those are the, the three threads that run through everything that we do. That's so back good. to Crossrail, it is a transformative project. It will ultimately take you from Heathrow and Reading in the West all the way through the centre of uh, London, brand new doubled, full, full bore, uh, double bore tubes all the way out to 
uh, East London and beyond out to a place called uh, Shemfield out in Essex. So you'll be able to go to Canary Wharf from Heathrow Airport in 45 minutes. It will be transformative. Big trains hammering through the centre of London, beautiful new stations, platform screen tours, fully air conditioned. It'll take huge pressure off the central line. It'll add 10% to the capacity of London tube network. Big opportunity for various reasons. It's running late. It was supposed to open at the end of December 18. Then December 19 came and went, uh, and the project, which doesn't come under my, um, my my tenure just yet, under my control just yet, has been has just announced that now summer of 21 is not possible. Hmm. So I've made it very clear that if I'm to be held accountable for the ultimate opening or ultimate operation rather of the Elizabeth line, I have to have control of it. And I'm very pleased to say that argument is prevailing. I've said. And this is no reflection on the current management team, who I think have done a really good job, Mark and the CRL, uh, Crossrail board. And they've done a great job in retrieving the project. But now I absolutely need my fingers on the hands on the uh, the levers of uh, power. We've got to transition that sooner rather than later to TFL. And that's what's going to happen. So I intend, as soon as I can, to announce a revised date once I've had that confirmation from uh, CRL, the uh, Crossrail board, they will own that decision. They will announce what the uh, revised date and budget is. I've already made it clear I won't be beholden to that. I'll take my own view once that announcement is made. I am determined to get that uh, line open as safely and quickly as it possibly can be. I look back very fondly on my time at the TTC where I stuck a stake in the ground and said that the Spadina subway extension would be open by the end of 2017. Um, yes. And it was. The project yes. was predicting Q4 finish of 2018 or more likely the beginning of 2019. No way. We delivered that at the end of 17, as we promised. You're only as good as your last project, though. Paul, you know all about that. <laughs> Watch this space. We are going to get Crossrail open, the Elizabeth line open. Um, uh, it'll be amazing. Wait, you wait till you see it. It's spectacular. That's uh, awesome. I hope I'm, I hope I'm able to come over and visit it once we get traveling again. A couple more things before we wrap up. Tell us a little bit about how you're getting out of COVID. I'm interested in any comments you have on congestion charging. It looks like you got it passed in New York, but now it's going to be delayed. What's happening there in the UK? And then anything on Uber and, and TNC. So I'm going to ask like a lightning round here. So let's start with the last one. What's going on with TNCs and Uber and, and Lyft and all that stuff there in London? Again, a very topical question. Taxis and, and private hire come under me. I have very capable people who oversee the, that portfolio. And Uber is a live issue here. I'm not going to comment, actually, Paul, because it is subject to okay. um, a, there's various legalities at the moment. But let's just say it's a hot topic here, same as it is everywhere. Uh, taxi drivers don't hold back with their opinions. You're here to just make your listeners laugh. You, you have to have a thick skin in this game, as Paul. We both we both know that from our experiences, and uh, I, I I broke the golden rule. I looked below the line uh, on a on a on an article of greeting my arrival. You should, I always say you should never read the comments, and I, <laughs> I let my guard slip. Yeah. I let my guard slip, and I read a comment. And it was from a taxi driver who said, "Oh, here comes another effing waste of space to ruin <laughs> London's transport." Welcome to London. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, lots happening on the taxi front. I'll leave it there because there, there are some legalities there. Okay. Tell us about what's going on with congestion charging. Amazingly, you were able to get the New York General Assembly to pass that, but I don't think it's going to start anytime soon. Is it still happening in London? Have, have revenues gone down? What's going on there? 
Sure. Well, first up, I mean, with New York, that, of course, was not anything to do with me, really. It was the, the legislature and the governor, to be fair, that, that got that through. And, and that was a real courageous step, I felt, because it's no one wants congestion pricing, or, or not many people would, because right. it's not going to be really a vote winner for many. Is yes, yeah, so absolutely. Some people would say it is a vote winner if, if, if for the environmental benefits that it brings. But it's still a courageous step nonetheless. And it's as I understand, it is delayed because there's still um, some debate about the environmental assessment that needs to uh, take place. In London, we've actually had a con- we've had congestion pricing for some time. It was brought in 2003. It was a real success. It's, it's still very much an issue here. It brings in money that is ring-fenced, guaranteed to go to transport. So we do get uh, money that goes directly to benefit transport from uh, the fees that people pay. This mayor has also launched an ultra-low emissions zone. So basically, really actively incentivizes people to use vehicles that are of modern standards and, and have very low emissions. Or if you don't have that, if you have some old gas guzzler and a car that emits a lot of emissions, you have to pay extra. Those are two established principles here. There's talk in the future maybe of road user charging. So it's, very, again, a very topical debate. I think London leads the world on a lot of that technology. I agree. And then finally, let's talk about the future. Let's close up by talking about what are your efforts going forward to help pull your system out of the COVID crisis? And then what do you see going forward for public transportation in general for our industry as well as in London? Mm -hmm. And not unique to London. I look at what colleagues are doing around the world. The key thing is to get people's confidence that transport is safe. And it is safe. We've been using hospital grade, industrial cleaner, to make the tube and the buses and the other modes that we use, all touch points, I'd, I'd argue cleaner and safer than they've ever been. We've issued uh, PPE to our brave operatives, our wonderful oper- operators who are out there driving the various vehicles. We've been paying great attention to maintaining social distancing with appropriate signage and, and other arrangements. We've been making um, an, a messaging announcements to get people to stagger their journeys if they possibly can. And it is a confidence-building exercise. You've got to have the confidence of your employees, so get the, make sure that you've got the unions on side, but also progressively persuade people to safely, in a controlled manner, but progressively, relentlessly building the service back up. Because, look, let's face it, at the end of the day, London cannot uh, survive without a viable transport system. So the other thing we've been doing is um, progressively increasing the service. We're up to 96% of the book service is now restored. So uh, people are coming back. The buses are around 45%, the tubes around 25%, and we will continue to uh, increase the messaging to encourage people to come back. For the future, I think the future is very bright still. I think that as an industry, it's a great industry to work in. I'd always recommend it to young graduates or young people out there uh, because you'll always need mass transit. There's lots of talk about the impact of COVID. And yeah, I think some people will choose in the future to work from home. And maybe the actual loadings will never get back to exactly what they were. But there'll still be a need for high quality, quick, efficient, environmentally friendly public transit uh, and it's an honor to work in this industry. I've, t- I've given it 31 years now. I think this will probably see me through to the end of my public transit career. But what a way to finish, Paul. Uh, Commissioner of Transport for TfL, I couldn't be more proud. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. Well, Andy Byford, thank you so much for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, the world's top transit podcast heard now in 99 countries around the world. I know our listeners will be so happy to hear you, you know, rejuvenated, full of joy and ready for the task at hand. Well, Paul, one of my philosophies in life is anything's possible because ultimately anything is, but also to try not to look back. So I've had a great career. I want to go out on a high and certainly speaking with you today has reinvigorated my uh, determination to do that. It's great to hear from you, my friend. You stay well. Thank you. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.